I promised uh, some some German friends that I would greet them in German. So uh, Guten Morgen. I think that's the right way to do it. Goeiemorgen to the South Africans among us. Swahili, habari zasibui. But I think, um, yeah, welcome once again if you're joining us for the first time or if uh, you haven't been with us for very long. Uh, my name is Cephas, as you heard, and I'm one of the team uh, that leads uh, One Tribe. And um, I think if also you're anything like me, uh, this week has been a bit of a challenging week, uh, not necessarily uh, because of personal life events. I, I did have my own story in a car, but that's for another day. Uh, but just in the news coming out of Ukraine and uh, just thinking, how do we process this? Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we happened to, to have a conference with uh, other churches who we partner with. And we had uh, a team from Ukraine and we also had a team from Russia. So we, we've got churches that we partner with both in Russia and Ukraine. And it was amazing because uh, this was after the um, initial kind of annexation of Crimea. And in fact, one of the pastors in the churches was killed uh, during that time. Uh, but just to be able to be together, Russian and Ukraine. And this is uh, the vision of the gospel. When we talk about the power of the gospel, yes, it is a power that can save you and preserve you in, in calamities and, and car accidents. Uh, but even beyond that, it's, it's a message that's creating a new community. And when these things happen, when, when we have wars and rumors of wars, and for us here in East Africa, just thinking about what's been happening in Ethiopia, what's been happening in Somalia, what's, what's happening in Sudan, and we can kind of feel crushed by the weight of that and feel despondent. But Jesus foresaw that. He said there'll be rumors of war and, and wars. But he said still the end will not have come. The gospel will be preached to every nation. And this morning, I just wanted to read a verse from Isaiah chapter 2. And after I read the verse, I just want us to spend a moment in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, in Russia, in Ethiopia, in Somalia, even right here in Kenya. This is what the verses say. This was Isaiah. He says, In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. And this is picture language for the temple of God, where people met with God. And now this is the church. And he's saying the church will be raised up before all the nations. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And this is the vision of the picture of the kind of community that the gospel creates. And I just want to pray for us that even now, during times like this, where we see explosions and bombs and gunfire, that still the gospel would be preached, that still the church would be a light in all these places, that still people would be drawn to God's love 
to the proclamation of the gospel and how people live and love one another. Why don't we just do that together for a few moments and I'll, I'll pray for us. Yeah. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that through your coming, your death and your resurrection, that you've already begun to create a new community that uh, transcends national borders, that transcends um, political ideologies, that transcends culture, that transcends economic status, that unites um, through love. Thank you that when you suffered on the cross, you brought down the hostility that separated different peoples. And Lord, that when we read these promises that thousands of years before, that we can still look forward to a future when the sound of gunfire and missiles will be no more. When the ingenuity of man that is used for destruction will be used for building. Uh, where we'll see those who previously were warring sitting down together before you in love and in worship. And Lord, this is our prayer for Ukraine and Russia. This is our prayer in Ethiopia and Tigray. This is our prayer uh, for Somalia. This is our prayer even in our ocean and the whole surrounding region. We say, let your kingdom come. Let your gospel be preached. Let it transform lives in a real and a tangible way that destroys barriers and brings peace. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Great. Um, if you're joining us once again, welcome. And uh, we're in the second part of a series that we've titled Mission Impossible. As a church, we've been studying the book of Acts since last year. And uh, this year we are in uh, Acts chapter 13. And um, as we look into the story of how this message about Jesus went viral, is now in Russia, Ukraine, as well as in Kenya, our hope is not just to learn a bit of history or uh, be nostalgic about the good old days, but actually to find truths uh, that will mold us and shape us as we look forward to the mission that we feel God has given us. And as a church, we, we, we feel that God has called us to uh, uh, multiply gospel-centered, spirit-empowered missional churches in Nairobi and beyond. But uh, thankfully, we don't get to recreate the playbook. We, we, we don't get to kind of devise how this will be done. And wonderfully, Calvin last week uh, took us through a message where he shared uh, 10 points about what the Antioch church looked like. And this is what we as a church are aspiring to build, but not only to build among ourselves, but to multiply in Nairobi and beyond. So we're going to look now as we come into chapter 13, verse 4, at what uh, Bible scholars commonly call Paul's first missionary journey. And today I want us to answer the question, why? Why do we see Paul going out on this journey? Why, why do we see them going out? If we were to ask them, hey guys, why did you go? What, what, what got you out of bed? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What motivated you for this mission? As we do that, I'd love for us to hold up a mirror to our own lives. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What mission are you about in your own life? Now, if, if you're anything like me, 
most Africans, uh, most Kenyans, most Nairobians. You can identify with this quote. And I think some of us might be familiar with it. It says, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the gazelle or it will starve. It doesn't matter whether you're the lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. As you say, Cephas, in Africa, we don't have time for philosophizing about mission. I don't have time to think about what gets me out of bed in the morning. In fact, what gets me out of bed, what powers me, is the bills that I have to pay at the end of the month. In fact, when I, when I just look back, turn over my shoulder, I can see poverty uh, following closely behind. And you might say, yes, I, I've got no time to think about mission and, 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 and to, to have these abstract thoughts. I'm one hustle away, one paycheck away. I'm one deal away from going bust. Or maybe you might say, hey, I've got my hands full with the kids. I've got my hands full with school runs. I've got my hands full with homeschooling. I've, I've got no time to think and talk about mission. My social life is full. I can't even keep up with social media, my, the social status of my friends. My life is just too full. Well, friends, the question that I have for you this morning is that, is that all there is? Is that, is that all there is to your one God-given life? Scripture says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you look at yourself, when you look at your talents, when, when you look at your history, when you look at, at how God has shaped you, Surely, there's got to be more to life than paying the bills. And so my hope this morning is that God would give us a bigger picture. God would give us an appetite and a hunger for his great big purposes. His exhilarating, exciting adventurous purposes that he has shaped you for, for such a time as this. Let's jump into Acts chapter 13. I'm mainly going to be talking about uh, chapter 4 to verse, I mean, verse 4 to verse 12, but I'll just read once again from verse 1. Now they were in the church of Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and all the Nigerians said, Amen. Lucius of Cyrene, that's kind of the Libya area. Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, 
a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus just means son of salvation. This is, we don't think it was talking about Jesus whom we worship, but just it was a common name. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Elymas, the magician, for this is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, as we come out of this story, I just want to pick out two, what I'm calling mission motivators. Two things that we see that got Paul and Barnabas and his team out of bed in the morning, that, that set them on, on, on this journey where they were to go through the Roman world. And these two are, the first is a sense of calling. And the second is understanding the times. Now, when you talk about a sense of calling, the first verse, that is verse 4 that I'm looking at, it says that they went out sent by the Holy Spirit. They went out because this is what they felt God had called them to. The church didn't come up with a 10-year or 5-year, five 5-point five plan and say, hey guys, we want to multiply uh, gospel-centered, uh, 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 spirit-empowered, uh, missional churches. So let's go and do this. That, that, that sounds good. That looks good on a banner. Let's go out and do it. They didn't go out and do it because they thought, hey, this will be fun. Let, let's go traveling, guys. We'll you get to see the world, right? I, I, I'm not sure if you've seen some of these uh, posters for, for soldiers when, when they're trying to, to get recruits. Like, yeah, come, join the military. You'll get to travel. You'll get to see the world. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to keep fit. They didn't do it because it was, it was going to be fun. Guys, it's going to be a great adventure. No. And they didn't do it because there was profits in it, right? Show me where the money is. And, and I'll be there in a flash. In fact, the journey that they were embarking on was absolutely mind-boggling. They were going to proclaim a crucified Messiah. I mean, who's ever heard of that? And these were two Jews. Jews were despised in the Roman Empire. It was a dangerous, life-threatening mission with next to zero chance of success. They're not going because it was going to be easy. In fact, when Paul looked back 10 years later, this is what he said about his journeys in 2 Corinthians 11. 
I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day at drifted sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of concern for all the churches. And so when, when we look at that first verse, when we look at their prayer meeting and these guys are praying and fasting, all oh, the Holy Spirit is, is, is speaking out of luck to be there. And then they're sent out and we see them sailing to Cyprus, moving all, all, all around the, the, the island. And, and we see some success. We think, wow, this is a, is a wonderful, rosy picture. And friends, we, we can begin to expect that for our lives and, and for our church. That man, if, if God calls you to something, uh, surely it's going to be easy. Surely it's going to be smiles and laughter all the way. If God has called you into a marriage, surely it's going to be easy. If God has called you into a job, surely it will just be smooth. If he has called you to start a business or to start a family to raise kids. And friends, we must be careful that we don't look at life. Don't look at what God calls us to through rose-tinted glasses. And so if you, if you ask Paul, why did you go if it was so hard? Why did you do it? His response would be, I consider my life worthless. I want to finish the race that God has given me to fulfill this call upon my life. Paul, why did you do it? Well, because God called me. And friends, the Christian life it's, it's not a life that you enter into by, by making a, a life decision to say, hey, I'm, I'm changing. You know, I'm, I'm changing the direction of my life. I, I, I want a better life. I've been making destructive decisions. I've been getting into relationships that I, that I haven't, I'm not supposed to be. I've, I've been addicted to substances that are ruining my life. Hey, I'm going to become a Christian. Friends, the Christian life is a calling. It is God speaking to you through the message of his gospel, taking you from your old life and calling something new. It is a summons to, to, to turn from one life that is focused on, on this world and the direction of this world and to go counter-cultural, counter the stream of this world. And friends, it's, it's not easy. Listen to to what Jesus said to, to people who, his disciples who are following him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross was for slaves. Taking up your cross was like saying you're going towards execution. 
And it goes on to say, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a 20th century German theologian and pastor who was, who was killed by the Nazis in his classic, which I would recommend everyone to read, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's, that is Martin Luther, who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his core. Friends, whatever the call is upon your life, whether God calls you to cross borders, cross counties, whether God calls you to stay, to just engage with your neighbor, whether God calls you to build a career within an organization, or he calls you to, to start a business, whether he calls you to, to get married and, and, and raise a family, whatever God's call is upon your life, it's going to involve dying to the old man. It's going to involve hard work and sacrifice. And sometimes we think, hey, the kingdom, man, we'll, we'll sing songs on a Sunday. We'll, we'll have these wonderful meetings and, and the kingdom will go forward and we'll have these wonderful, lovely emotions. But when we get into the world where the rubber meets the road. There's pain, sickness, difficulty, conflict, doubt, insecurity, opposition, obstacles. And what will keep us going is a sense of calling. I remember a few years ago when we went out and we were part of a team that launched outreach into a university in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And we would have wonderful meetings with our team and we said, hey guys, we're going to go and do this stuff. We're having fun Friday evening events. We play games. And we thought, man, we are going to take over this campus. A few weeks in, it was hard. Sometimes it would be raining, no one would come. We were all working full-time jobs, so it was something that we did in our spare time. We had families. And after one semester, we're like, hey, let's, let's put a pause on this. It's, it's just too tough. We're not making any ground. And friends, that's the reality. There will come times in your marriage where you think, hey, I think it's time to put a pause on this. I, I feel like throwing in the towel. There'll come times when you feel like, hey, living in Kenya, uh -uh, I think it's, it's time to, <laughs> I, I need a pause button. I, I just need to, to leave. There'll come times when you feel like, hey, 
I think this business, KRA is following you, county government is calling you up. These, I think it's time to put a pause on this. But friends, what will sustain us in those times is a sense of calling. That I'm, I'm called to be in this marriage. I'm called to be working here. I'm called to be in this city. I'm called to be in this nation. I'm called to be among those people. I'm called to go to this specific place. And so how do we develop this sense of calling? May I suggest to you that what we see in this text is that Paul and Barnabas cultivated their sense of calling by being actively engaged and serving in a local church. Paul and Barnabas didn't get a revelation from, from God while they were on a mountain praying and say, hey guys, we feel this is what God has told us to do. In fact, we, we learned in the story just before that they'd been sent by the church from Antioch to, to take a gift to Jerusalem. And before that, they had been teaching multitudes of people in the church for a year. And so it was as they were actively engaged, as they were serving in the local church, that God spoke in the context of community and service. And friends, if, if you want to cultivate the sense of call, my suggest to you that you need to be actively engaged actively connected, actively serving in a life-giving community, whether it's in one tribe or another local church. You can't think, hey, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sit on the fence. I'll, I'll, I'll see what's going on. And when I feel God is calling me to something, then I'll do it. But that's not the way it works. Do whatever needs to be done. And as you are engaged, as you are serving, as you are in life-giving relationships, you begin to find your sense of call even in whatever context you find yourself growing and being built up through life-giving words from the community. Friends, let's, let's cultivate a sense of call through active engagement and serving in our local church. And here there are many opportunities beyond our Sunday gathering. We, we meet together for prayer at quarter past nine. And I'd just love for us to switch from thinking, hey, our time together starts at 10. Let's come together at quarter past nine and pray. This morning we were praying for the Ukraine. We were praying for our city. We were praying for our gathering. We were praying for our children. And friends, we, we see how... In our text, it was as they were praying that God spoke. And you might be going through a difficult time in your life and think, hey, maybe this is a time for me to withdraw. This is a time for me to kind of separate myself and, and work things out. But I want to encourage you that it's not a time for you to, to withdraw. Whether you're going through a difficult time in a relationship, in your marriage, you're going through a difficult time in your job, in your finances, it's not a time for you to withdraw, but it's a time for you to draw near. 
Because as you draw near, you'll find life in this community. Engage in life group. You think, hey, there's no life group in our area. We'll start a life group. Come and, come and speak to us. Come and speak to Reno and say, hey, we've got three or four guys in this particular area who would love to start a life group. Because it's as we actively engage and serve in the community that our sense of call grows. Now, I mentioned how we gave up on our university mission after a semester. And then the following year, a new couple came to our church and they were passionate about young people and they invited us for dinner. And I remember I didn't want to go for dinner with them. I didn't want to talk about doing it. And Michelle said, hey, let's just go because Michelle is the the diplomatic one in our relationship. And so she's, she's got high EQ. Um, not as high. So if I ever do anything to offend you, please just give me some, some grace. I'm still working on it. And so we, we went down and I thought, hey, I'm going to have dinner with these guys and we'll go home. But we're not doing this. And as we were speaking and uh, as they were talking about it i felt god drop some scriptures into my heart and the first one was galatians 6 verse 9 which says don't grow weary in doing good for in due time you will reap if you do not give up and honestly i i had made my decision before coming to that meeting that i'm not doing this and the second verse that, that came to mind was when jesus comes to Peter and the fisherman and says, hey guys, throw your nets in one more time. And so I thought, hey, reluctantly, this is what God is calling. Let's go and do it one more time. And wonderfully, we saw students saved, give their lives to, to God, get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it, it changed their lives. And it was through being connected in a community that God gave us the sense of call. And this morning, I just wanted to encourage you. You might be here and saying, hey, I, I, I tried it. I've, I've been on that road. That, that pain you're talking about, I've lived it. I've, I've known failure. And I'm, I'm just not cut out. But I want to encourage you this morning. Don't grow tired of doing good. Because in due time, you'll get a harvest if you do not give up. And I be really believe that there's some... You were students or there was a time in your life where you felt really called to some specific things. And then you, you got into the workspace. You... What I've heard guys call adulting. You, you got into that place where you have to pay bills. Where you, you have to put food on the table. And you thought, hey, let me just concentrate on this. This will have to wait. And I believe that the Lord is calling you this morning. To say, hey, don't, don't park the mission. The mission is still on. Don't put it on pause. Now is the time. 
And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you this morning just to begin to ask God again to say, hey Lord, would you fan it into flame, my sense of calling? Would you encourage me? Would you help me to engage in a local community? Would you help me to, to take risk? Would you help me to take steps of faith? And so the first motivation is a sense of calling cultivated by actively engaging and serving in a local church. The second is understand the times. That this was a community that understood the times. In fact, when scripture looks at the people of God, it sees them as a prophetic community, a people who understand what God is doing in their time and are able to bring that message, to, to live that life that proclaims God's message in their times. And the first way we need to understand the times is to understand that God is shaping history for his mission. God is shaping history, both globally and individually, for his mission. And you say, hey, how is God, how do you see that in the text? Well, one thing that really blew my mind when I became a Christian was how God set all things up for just this time through world history for the gospel to go out. And we see it when Paul and, and Barnabas go out onto Cyprus. It says that they went to the Jewish synagogues and they were speaking to the Jews. And there were Jewish synagogues throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, one uh, commentator said, Where, wherever there was business, you would find a Jewish community. And so there's synagogues all throughout. And this was because in the 6th century BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian, had exiled the Jews. They had come, taken over, and sent them out into Babylon. And, and they became spread out throughout the, the preceding centuries. And so what looked like it was a curse, what looked like it was a disaster, the breaking up of, of the, the uh, Jewish kingdom was actually God preparing for the setting up not only of a Jewish kingdom, but of a worldwide kingdom. God was working through Jewish diaspora. Not only that, the New Testament is, is written in Greek, it's called Koine Greek, which means just common Greek. And the Greek language had spread through the conquest of Alexander the Great in the fourth century. And Alexander didn't just want to conquer, but he wanted to bring the Greek culture. And so we find the Greek language spread out. And so wherever they went, they could communicate with people. And where before the, the Old Testament is mostly in Hebrew, we find the New Testament is Greek. God set up. Not only do we have the Greeks, then we've got the Romans who took over in the, in the second century. And they brought what they called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And they built these roads that inter, interconnected. And that's where the saying comes from, every road, every road leads to Rome. And one commentator, he says that Romans road made travel easier than it had ever been or would be 
until close to the modern period. And so they, they used these modern highways. And so God was shaping hundreds of years, in fact, thousands of years of history for this moment. And so we need to understand the times. And friends, we, we need to be careful from looking at history through a secular lens. You kind of think, well, what shapes our history? We've got colonialism. We, we, we have infrastructure being built. We, we've got Nairobi, this great urbanization that's happening. Nairobi becoming a hub in East Africa. We have these geopolitical situations around us and across the world. We have these socio-political uh, and cultural changes. And friends, we need to understand the times. And I believe what's, what's really relevant for us as a church, positioned here in Nairobi, with coming from many cultures, is to see what God is doing in that. Not only that, Africa is the youngest continent in the world. Average age in Italy, 47. Average age in Kenya, 20. Africa is the population of the future. Right now, Africa is 16% of the world's population. By 2100, Africa will constitute 33%. Not only that, the gospel is spreading in Africa like never before. 1900, there were 10 million Christians out of 100 million. By the turn of the 20th century, population was just under 900 million. And there were between 200 and 300 million Christians. At the turn of the 20th century, the, the, those who studied mission thought, hey, Africa is going to be taken over by Islam. And surprisingly, it's Christianity that has taken over. And one of the reasons is that when you look at the culture and the thought life of the Greco-Roman world is very similar to, to the worldview and thought life of the African world. And so God shaped Africa. God has shaped geopolitical events, colonialism, all of that for the purposes of his gospel. And friends, you and I, we have to be saying to ourselves, how can I position myself? How can we position ourselves as a church to join in to what God is doing? Our prayers need to be, God, show us what you're doing in our times so that we can join in. And for me, I've said, I want to invest in the young people of Africa. And I used to think, hey, I, I, I don't want this tag of being associated with, with university students. I, I, I don't want to be that guy. But when you look at the population, there, there's no choice. There, there's so many. Two out of five Kenyans are under the age of 15. Friends, we've got no choice but to invest in, in, in schools and in and, and high schools if we're going to be relevant for the future. And you might come to one tribe and think, hey, it's such a young crowd, I don't fit in. Of course, the crowd might be young, but we have to position ourselves for the mission. Our goal is not to 
create a community that, that fits into our needs. Our goal is to create a community that is relevant for the needs of those around us so that they can hear the gospel and find this life. And I remember going to church with my parents and I was thinking, hey, this is just so boring and, you know, the kids would just be told to go outside and... And I think to myself, hey, I don't want to be part of a church where my kids just think, hey, this is just so boring and it's all about the parents. One Tribe Kids is not an opportunity for us to, to, to ship the kids out so that we can hear the message undisturbed. Actually, it's our main investment because that is where Africa is. And so I ask you, how are you investing in these times. And friends, this is not just something that's relevant for our mission as a church. Even as you think about business, you need to understand the times. I remember a story about Jeff Bezos. And it says that when he started Amazon before, he had read a report about how the internet was going to spread. And he thought, hey, we need to start a business that is internet related. And sometimes we, we want to keep doing what we've, we've always done. And, and you, you kind of see it in, on our streets. You know, someone starts a dukkha here. They've got uh, onions, uh, avocado, and tomatoes. And you think, hey, look, those guys are making money. I'm going to start a dukkha right beside them. And I'm also going to sell onions, avocado, and tomato. And while that's a bit of an extreme example, and, and why am I talking about business? Because young Africans need commerce and employment. We can't just as a church say, hey, guys, our business is, is the saving of souls, the, the proclamation of the gospel. Come, listen to the gospel. We don't care what happens to you after uh, 11.30 on a Sunday. We don't care whether you've got money to pay bills. We don't care whether you've got money to put food on the table. Friends, if we understand the times, then we need to understand the needs of our community. And as part of our mission, as part of your mission as a believer, is say, how can I be most relevant? How can I be most life-giving to the community around me? And so when you think about your hustle, I want to challenge you to, to think beyond yourself. Think beyond your family. And begin to see that God has, has input into you. That opportunity to go to university, to get an education, is not just for yourself, so that you can wall yourself up in an estate. But that God has given you talents and gifts for you to make a difference in the community. Because we are people who understand the times. Not only is God shaping global history, but he's also shaping personal history. You find Barnabas was a Cypriot Jew. Paul came from Cilicia, which is just kind of Armenian region. And in that time, the Jews who were in the diaspora were generally looked down upon by the Palestinian Jews. And you kind of think, hey, you know, I'm, I wish I was closer to Jerusalem. I was closer to the temple. You know, I wish I didn't have to get into contact with these Gentiles who worship idols, who eat pork and generally are unclean. 
even in their own backgrounds, God was shaping them for this moment where he would send them out to be able to speak to the Gentiles. And you might look at yourself, look at your background and think, hey, I've, I've made so many mistakes. I, I come from this family. I, I didn't get this education. I, I've got this and that. I'm just that. But friends, I want you to know that God has shaped your life uniquely for this moment and time in history. For you to fulfill the purposes that he has for you. Secondly, we need to understand that we are on the attack. When we come into this story, we see this interesting story about Paul and Barnabas being called by this Roman proconsul who was like the head of the Roman government in that area. But there's this other guy who's with him called Elymas, who is a, a sorcerer. And some commentators are like, oh, this guy's a charlatan. Some are saying he's doing witchcraft. Whatever he's doing, we don't know. But Paul says, you are a child of the devil. You are against truth. And friends, we need to realize that not only are we in contested territory, but we are on the attack. And sometimes we'll say things like, hey, I feel like I'm, I'm under spiritual attack. And that might be true that th there's some dynamics beyond what we see that are happening in your life. But you need to realize that we don't live in a defensive position, but we are the ones who are on the attack because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, dying, being raised again, having all authority in heaven and on earth and saying to his disciples, now go into all the world and undo the works of the enemy. And one thing you'll find as you go out, whether you go out to your workplace, whether it's in marriage, whether it's just in general life, whether it's in business, it's almost like when you get there, an agent of the devil is waiting for you. You think, hey, I got this new job. It's going to be great. I'm going to be a light. As you get there, oh man, there's something about the culture of the workplace. There's some things that you're expected to do that, that don't quite line up with your faith. And you need to realize that you're not just there to make up the numbers, to, to subsist, but you're there actually as an agent of the kingdom of God. Think, hey, man, this, this marriage is so hard. Why, why is it like this? Well, there might be some tools and techniques we can, we can advise you on, talk to each other, you know, in a kind way, don't criticize, bath and, you know, use perfume, that kind of thing. But fundamentally, you need to realize that it's also contested territory. Same goes for our children. Same goes for the things that God calls us to and lays on our hearts. But wonderfully, we see that we're equipped for this battle. Paul is not nonplussed. He, he doesn't stop a beat. He speaks to this man filled by the Holy Spirit. What we might call a power encounter, a clash of the kingdoms. And we can see one is clearly on top. The devil has been defeated. And so we, we are not afraid of this battle. We are not afraid of spiritual opposition. I think, hey, I've heard there's, there's this powerful witchcraft in Kilifi County, man. We're not afraid because the battle has been won at the cross. 
So we need to understand we are on the attack. Finally, we need to understand that the harvest is now. You think this guy is a Roman proconsul? He is as circular, he's as into idols. He's got a Jewish sorcerer with him who he keeps for his, he's got like a personal witch doctor as it were. How can, how can this guy be interested in the gospel? But we hear that he was an intelligent man. He's the one who reached out to Paul and Barnabas and said, hey, come, I'd love to listen to the message that you guys have. Why? Because the harvest is now. In John chapter 12, there was a time when some Greeks came to Jesus. In fact, they came to his disciples and said, can we see Jesus? And Jesus said, hey, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I'm going to draw all men to myself. And so what he was saying is that the time had not yet come for the gospel to go to the nations, but through the cross, there was coming a time when it would be open gates. Did you guys ever used to play that game, open gates? Okay, Sean is from Zimbabwe and he's like, yes. Everyone else is like, no, I don't know that game. I won't get into it. Just Sean and I just know how much fun it is. But basically what we're saying is all restraints are off for the gospel. Then there are no longer limitations. When we see them going to Cyprus, they go to every town. Because now the message is for everyone. Not only that, God is already at work in people's hearts. And you might look at your neighbor and think, hey, this guy looks so imposing. Or a family member or someone else in your workplace and think, hey, this is the last person who would want to hear the gospel, but you don't know what God is already doing in their hearts, giving them a hunger and a thirst to hear the word of God. Because the harvest is now. And so friends, how can we have this motivation for mission? The first is to cultivate a sense of calling. And I want to encourage you to engage and serve in this local church if you consider it home. And as you do that, you'll find a sense of mission growing in your own life. Secondly, we need to understand the times, to understand that God has uniquely shaped our present history right here in Nairobi. God has uniquely shaped your individual history for such a time as this. Understand that we are on the attack we are not waiting for things to happen to us. We are going. And finally, understand that the harvest is now. I just want to end by reading a scripture over us. John, John 4, verse 35, which says, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around the fields already ripe for harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this inspiring story where we see you sending by your Holy Spirit this team to go and proclaim your message where it's not been heard before. 
We thank you, Lord, that we too share a calling in our lives. We share a calling in this work. We share a calling in the particular situation you've put us in, single or married, with kids or without, in working or studying, in business or employed, homeschooling or, or with our kids in school, that we all share a call upon our lives. And Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to cultivate. Lord, I pray that even this morning as I've spoken and throughout as we reflect on this, you would begin to awaken a stronger sense of calling. Would you affirm for those who have been uh, in doubt as to what you have called them, would you affirm for those who have laid aside and been distracted or concentrated on other things, Lord, would you call them back to the mission? I pray that as we actively engage and serve in this local church, that you would speak to us. That would be a people who are mobilized, who are together on a mission. Father, I pray that would be a church that understands the times. That would not be a people who are, who are looking for someone else to discern and tell us what is going on in the world around us, but would be a prophetic people. A people who, who have insight that comes from above. A people who understand the times and know what to do. Lord, I thank you for those that you have given uh, such insight and wisdom. And I pray that they'll begin to know right now that you're affirming them. I really believe that the Lord has given certain people in, our, in this who are listening to my voice right now a gift of wisdom. A gift to be able to understand. And right now, even as I'm praying, as I'm speaking, you can feel the Lord just affirming it in your heart. And Lord, I pray that they would have a sense of freedom to begin to, to, to engage, to begin to speak into people's lives, to begin to speak into communities. Help us to be a prophetic community within this city. Father, thank you that we are not on the defensive, but we are on the attack. Thank you that we are equipped through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that for, for any who have fear, fear of spirits, fear of the devil, fear of demons, fear of witchcraft, right now that you would break it, that they would be released, that they would know their identity in you, that they would know that the victory has been won in Christ. And I ask that you'd fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this call to go out. And Lord, thank you that the harvest is now. We won't say four months until the harvest. We don't want to be those, Lord, who are, who are delaying and saying, hey, there's still this thing and that thing that needs to come into place, that it's not the opportune time. But Lord, would you raise our eyes to see now that the fields are white in the world. May we be a people who are on a mission together and on the front foot. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.